I was confused, frightened, and frustrated. It was a scary time. Like I didn't know a word of English. I didn't know anyone. I had no friends, and I was the the only Asian in my middle school and also high school later on too. I do get names like, oh, you know, hey, Chink or go back to China, all these things. But to me, when I hear these kind of comments, I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. And I really had to do everything in my ability and power, squeeze out of everything to get to Harvard. So by the time I got there, I think every moment, every second to me is like a dream come true. Hey everyone, welcome to the Agnana podcast. I'm your host, Amy Chen. I also produce and edit this podcast. For this episode, I'm really excited to have Cheng Ho with us. Cheng's currently the CEO and founder of Chou a startup with a mission to make athletics part of education in Asia. Welcome to the podcast, Chang. Hello, Amy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, having me. Chang and I know each other from my time in Taiwan. And to be very transparent, I've written about Chang's startup, Chosha for NBC in the past. But I just think it's such a worthy cause to give more shine to. And that's why I invited him onto the Eggnatopod today. Being able to enjoy extracurriculars and sports as a kid, I think, taught me a lot of qualities like teamwork, drive, and sportsmanship. So... That's why it's also quite near and dear to my heart. Chang's a Harvard University alum, um, and he went there on a football scholarship. We'll get into that in a little bit, but Chang, can you give us a brief overview of what Chosha is for those that don't know? Sure, yeah. So everything we do comes down to a very fundamental mission, and that's to make sports a part of education. Uh, and I think Chosha has evolved over the last seven years. It started back in 2013. But currently what we do is we start a high school basketball league called Choshua League, uh, also called CXL. And currently we work with 72 schools. And the main, the main thing we do is we are trying to challenge the traditional educational system attitude because sports and academics are divided. And we're trying to integrate both and allow students to have the opportunity to, to be well-rounded this platform so you can think of us as the potential future future ncaa in asia that's our uh, that's one of our going aspiration that's a great like place to align yourself with for those that don't know i mean you're based in taiwan what does a school day look like for a you know a middle schooler or a high schooler oh man it's it's overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> It's overwhelming. So, uh, I mean, kids get to school around early in the morning, around 7.30, and uh, even middle school kids too here, uh, but they don't get off school until 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And after they get off school at 5 p.m., they may have a quick break, and then maybe they go to 7-Eleven, convenience store to grab a quick bite to eat, and 80% of the students will go to the cram school from 7 p.m. until 9, 10 or even 10.30. So that's what a day looks like for majority of the students in Taiwan uh, in terms of middle school and high school. Yeah. Right. So I know, I mean, I played sports in high school. I was also right. swim team. And right. our schedule was like, we'll do practices after school. Right. If you're telling me that the schedule of these kids is like, wake up, go to school, go to cram school, what time do they fit in practice <laughs> or games or something you know because i remember i was like you know i'll do swim team because we get to leave like last period and go to swim meets i was like that's a good way to get out of go to school yeah and that's the problem right so what happens then you you have a um a clear a very division here and there are two distinct demographic as a result 
you have a, a majority of people, which 80% of students, they, they literally cannot participate in any extracurricular activities. And academics and test taking is all they know in their life. And then you have a very, very minor percentage of students, I would say it's maybe less than 6% of students that have the opportunity to compete in athletics. But the, the problem with these 6% of students is they train basically year-round. And sometimes they might train over five, six, or seven, eight hours a day. And what happens is they really sacrifice um, their academics. And, 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 that's a, and that's a big part of why a lot of parents are not supportive of kids playing sports in Taiwan is because they feel like if you choose sports and extracurricular activities, you have to give up your academics. And to them, that's just too big of a sacrifice. Yeah. Why do you think this is so important for Taiwan? Because I know you've been working on the same mission for a long time, and they always say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But through our conversations, we can see how broken the education culture is in Taiwan and greater Asia. It's something very dear to my heart because sport changes saved my life. And I just believe that at the end of the day, um, I think the more important qualities and things that people can learn is values, mm-hmm. right? Uh, learning more about yourself, the value of character, leadership, teamwork. And I think that's part of the reason why I, I don't think a lot of people in Taiwan or even greater China know really how to work as a team because, because growing up uh, in the classroom, you're not taught to work as a team. You're taught to take care of yourself and only yourself so you can do well, Right. If you run that kind of mindset and environment, you would not learn how to sacrifice for others. You just would not learn that, right? And and then what happened when you, when you get to workforce, you get to uh, other places. There's just no way you can be a long term competitive. So I think I think what we're trying to do here is really change the culture and trying to make people more competitive and to unleash a lot of potential here. So I think it's it's uh, something that I think is very very worthy. The name Choshu is quite clever. For those that don't speak Mandarin, can you talk about how you came up with the name? Yeah, actually, I didn't come up with the name. It was, uh, oh. yeah, so uh, a good friend of mine also, um, so we have uh, this house church in Taiwan, um, you know, and uh, my pastor, uh, but he's kind of like an untraditional pastor, but uh, he came up with the name, uh, Phil Chang, um, and the name and the meaning of it is actually um, Chou, C-H-O, in the Chinese character, Chou means ball, which which represents sports, the meaning of sports. And Xue, X-U-E, in Chinese character, means uh, school, acti- academics, or to study. So we literally put these two words together, uh, ball, uh, ball academics, ball school, which basically communicate exactly what we want to do uh, also represent very well with our mission is to we need to integrate sports and academics together for all students. Mm-hmm. And what's been some of the feedback from students, teachers, or even investors on Choshu? Yeah, um, so it really depends on who you talk to. I mean, um, when you talk to a lot of students, I mean, they, you know, they love they love just have the more opportunity to play a game. And I think if you talk to the demographic people who grow up uh, playing sports, um, they actually um, like being forced to actually taking their grades, taking care of the grades is a, such a new and familiar, unfamiliar concept. <laughs> yeah. 
like they're shocked and surprised that what now you gotta look at my transcript if i'm not qualified i can't play we're like yep mm. that's right so you guys set that rule that you have to have good grades and yeah. you have to be a good like athlete not just that's right you can play basketball all day and that's fine yeah, well, so what we do is we really collect their transcript and uh, and we look at them. If you're not qualified, you can't play. That's just that simple. And I think uh, initially draw some criticism, but I think over time we rally a lot of people who are really supportive. And we start to see a lot of data showing that kids, it's not that sports intervene in their academic, it's, it's the time management aspect. Can they focus? Can they time manage? Can they prioritize? their life, their work, and their, their fun, uh, it becomes a time management skill set. So we see that if people start have the right mindset, they can do more things and they uh, with more discipline, they actually have more freedom. So yeah, so we started seeing that. And naturally, because of that, I think we started to be a lot more teacher supportive. And we started to see a lot of parents that really start to say, hey, this is awesome. If if you guys continue to enforce that, then we don't have to worry about kids playing sports anymore. So I think we're we're in the right trend here. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I When I did swimming as a kid a lot, it really taught me like, okay, I have to do my homework within this time so then I can go to swim class or, you know, go to work or go to swim meets. So it really does teach you about time management as a kid. Right, right. And you you, you definitely have a better experience about your, your schooling, right? I think... I think the um, the current uh, situation for most kids is I don't think they can recall uh, if you ask most of the students who graduate from college here locally and you, you ask them what's the most fun you ever had in high school <laughs> they can't tell you one <laughs> you know so I think to me I think these kids just being locked locked in prison <laughs> to yeah. some extent and I mean, they don't I, have proms they don't have homecomings they don't right. have you know spirit rallies and stuff like that yeah all the things we think about in high school or like go on your first drive in high school when you get your first license that's right i think and that's part of i think they don't really develop the 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 necessary i think the soft skills the intangibles that i think sometimes are more valuable um you know communication be able to, to relate to people to understand people I think it goes a lot deeper than just uh, than just that, right? I think it's the social fabric of how a society should work. Yeah, absolutely. It's lacking. It's lacking. It's lacking. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about growing up because I think your childhood shapes who you are today through um, the things you learned and your values. You have mentioned a few times in interviews that you were once an orphan, that your dad passed away from cancer when you were 12, and then your mom was hospitalized due to schizophrenia. So your aunt and your uncle adopted your sister and yourself. And then all of a sudden, you moved from Taiwan to Augusta, Georgia. Take me back to that time. Man, I was I was confused, frightened, and frustrated. It was uh, it was a, it was a scary time. Like yeah, I didn't know word of English. I didn't know anyone. I had no friends, and I was the the only Asian in my middle school and also high school later on too. So imagine, imagine, yeah, just the the stares, looks, and I talk funny or and I look funny too. <laughs> you didn't so, know this is an apple that is a pen come on you you must have known that <laughs> no, it, was, it was uh no it, it was everything was new to me i just i just remember the time i just 
I will always sit in the classroom and just look at the clock and that just can't wait until 2.30, 2.45 p.m. hits because that's yeah. the time everyone gets off to school and I just can't wait to rush home, just hide. <laughs> and so, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about that experience because moving to a new country with a different right. language, culture, during middle school, a time where a lot of us know our preteen and teenage years can be filled with a lot of emotions and confusion, like you mentioned. And Georgia is considered the South, quote unquote, the South. And I don't imagine lots of Taiwanese families immigrate to the U.S. and decide, you know what, I'm going to live in Georgia. Right. Um, And you said you were one of the few Asians or the only Asian in your middle school and high school. Did you ever experience racism? And what was that like? Since in Taiwan, the majority is monoethnic, so everyone looks the same and speaks the same language. You know, I think in hindsight, it was the best, the most perfect situation it could possibly be for me because just because I'm not surrounded by people who speak my language, I'm forced to learn the language of English. And I was forced to adapt and accelerate my learning curve tremendously just because I had no choice. And I would say even, I think the fact that my mom and my dad are not around me, that actually served me as a huge advantage because I, I, I to me, that basically I'm forced to confront and face with a lot of truth and reality about my myself. So I, I don't have a place where I can go back and cry about it or whine about it. It's kind of more like, okay, uh, yes, I do talk funny. Yes, I do talk weird. So growing up, I think I, I started to have this like self-awareness that, okay, I do have all these weaknesses, but, the, but, the, but the, I think the, the more important thing is what am I going to do about it, right? So, I mean, sure, there are times playing games. I mean, football, you wear a helmet. So no, not a lot of people know I'm Asian, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but basketball, obviously, you don't have a helmet on, so everybody looks at you, you just look weird. You know, I, I do get names like, oh, you know, hey, Chink, or go back to China, all these things. But to me, when I hear these kind of comments, I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. And the things, in, the things in America is when you stand up for yourself and you show what you're capable of doing, you earn respect, Right. And people will give you respect. If, you, if you're not whining and be like, "What? don't say that to me. If you fight back and you say, hey, I actually, you know, I'm, I own this place or I can stand down on my own with my ability, then I think a lot of things kind of just like become irrelevant a little bit. So I think having that, that experience, I think, was a very critical learning experience for me uh, and develop, I think, some of the values and perception I have about the world. Do you remember your first friend? There's always somebody that introduces themselves to me and I always remember them and they always become a really good friend of mine. So do you remember your first friend? (laughs) Yeah. My first American friend is this guy named Cliff Hancock. He, I, I was just like a clueless kid entering into the middle school homeroom that they want. I don't even know if I need to go pee. I don't even know. I don't even know how to say the word bathroom. Right, so, so so I think the teacher was super nice. He just kind of assigned this guy Cliff in my home and said, "Hey, take care of this guy Chang." And he was super nice because um, I just remember going to lunch in the cafeteria, and I'm just like scared with everything. But then he was like, "Okay, this is where you could be. Here's the play." And he's like, "Do you want ketchup?" And he started like be the I'd be communicated between me and the the lunch lady and making sure I get enough food. 
And I think that that just really like. And then once I get the food, like he said, "Hey, come join us." And then like I sat down with a group of his friends, and then he started introduce, "Hey, this is Jordan. This is Tyler." So yeah, I was yeah, I was so grateful that he was willing to uh, you know just kind of like he was so kind. Yeah. So so yeah, I definitely have a um, distinct memory of that. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with Cliff? Actually, yeah. Actually, I sent him a book. <laughs> um, so so I, I published a book uh, in Chinese, actually, in Taiwan last year. And, and so I you just, expected Cliff to read that Chinese book? I uh, I, I did not expect him to read it. He, he, <laughs> actually, he actually told me that I, I wish it was in English, but I said maybe eventually down the road. But I want to give you this book because, one, I, I shared this story in the book. And I want to thank you at the time that how you held me unconditionally. So yeah. I want to give you as a gift. And uh, so I, I sent him a book. <laughs> so he, he kept it. He said, I loved it, but I, I don't know how to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. And I also read in another interview you did that when you first got to the States, you had brought this digital translator with oh, you, yeah. which a lot of Taiwanese people had for some reason. I know my cousin had that. Yeah. And it's called Kuai Yi Tong because right. pre-smartphone and pre-internet days, this little tiny computer kind of looked like a toy. That was the fastest way to translate things. That's Take right. me back to the first time you had to use it in school. Oh, man. Uh, so my aunt bought that for me when I was still in Taiwan because she knew that when we enter the U.S. and go to school, this is will be an essential tool. So, it was expensive. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. But, but but thank God this thing really, really works. Um, so so what happens is I really use this thing and just because I don't know a single word of English. So I will, I will bring a, a notebook and with this translator and I will just write down every single word in the textbook that I do not know. And I don't even know what a noun is, a verb is, an adjective. I don't know any of that. Um, so, so I just use this. And then just trying to memorize it one by one, there was just really no shortcut. Uh, but the funny thing is, this thing also um, basically pronounces the word for you, you know, verbally. Yes, yes, yes. Right? So, so when you start have that, and you're the only one that can use that in the classroom, you know, other peers get really curious. So, ah. so, so we have kids that start saying, hey, Chen, let me borrow that. And then they would type in a lot of... So the first word they type in is F-U-C-K, right? Of course, then, of course. Yeah, yeah and then they, they, they press the speaking button and then turn, <laughs> turn the volume to the loudest. And then in the in the middle of the classroom, you hear this electronic voice like, fuck. And then everyone turn around pointing at me. And I'm just like, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. But it I was, feel like that's, yeah. that's a middle school boy thing to do. Yeah. That's a very, you know, turn the calculator upside down and type boobs like right. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but this thing was great. Uh, I really it really helped me. Um, but yeah, I think I had it for like three years, actually. <laughs> wow. OK. Yeah. Um, let's jump to college. I mentioned earlier that you went to Harvard on a football scholarship. This is every Asian mom's dream. Um <laughs> How did that happen? Were you always a football player? I would say is uh, it was a little bit by an accident, and it's definitely a miracle. Um, so I I started playing football um, when I entered the eighth grade and all the way through twelfth grade, and become I think my my uh, social vehicle. And how did that happen? Was it was actually very lucky. Uh, it was a local reporter named Michael Carvel. He uh, he. He watched one of my games on the sideline and basically approached me and said, hey, I think you have the potential to play college ball. I want to help you. 
So he then taught me how to create my own highlight reel um, using VHS tape. At that time, there was no Facebook, no YouTube, no IG. Um, so he, he told me how to do a six-minute highlight reel, and then he taught me how to send the videotape to all the college coaches. So I had to basically proactively uh, promote myself, and he taught me how to organize my information. Uh, and and I, I, I didn't know what was going to turn out of it, but little to my, you know, to my surprise, actually, coaches started, came calling and uh, sent about 50 tapes, and Harvard became the one that took a lot of interest. And then, yeah, and, and the next thing I knew, coach flew down to the South and met with me and my family, and then invited me for an official visit, and the rest was history. Sounds easy, but it probably was very a very difficult process. I mean, you talk about VHS tapes, you got to do it yourself. This was pre-smartphone days, of course. Yeah. And they probably have never seen an Asian kid play football yep. well yeah. to be able to go to Harvard on a scholarship. Yeah, I, I would say, uh, well, so... I think one of the key information here was it was it was not easy. And my SAT score was terrible, right? I mean, you know, the perfect score is 1600. I had 1070, <laughs> right? You take math and English and each you get uh, the top, the perfect score is 800 each. For math, I got six, um, 660. And for English, I have 410. Now, to put that in context, what does 410 mean? Okay. Um, so in, if you just put, if you just write down your name on the SAT, you get 200. No okay. way. No so, way. Come on. Yeah. Hey, come on. I think so. I could be wrong, but I, I, I think, I think that's what happened. So, so I had a 410, which means it's just, it, it, it's just terrible. And that's why the first time I applied to Harvard, even though they were interested in me, they did not think uh, I could handle the workload in the uh, college so I had to go to a year of prep school, and that's, they sent me to a prep school as a PG and to improve my English, and I did, and that's why I got accepted the second time I applied. So it was uh, it was not easy, definitely. It wasn't, no. yeah. It kind of, this is all reminding me of Remember the Titans, because I feel like that's what football is in my mind. Have you seen that movie? That is one of my favorite movies of all time. Me too. Yeah. Talk about college a little bit more. You went through high school playing football. You put a lot of time and energy into applying for scholarships. You get to college. What's different? What new environment are you in? East Coast culture must have been different and the groupings of people must have been different now. Is that a different culture shock? Oh, absolutely. Like to me, I think because I felt like I really had to do everything in my ability and power, squeeze out of everything to get to Harvard. So by the time I got there, I think every moment, every second to me is like a dream come true. So I had literally, because it wasn't easy for me. I had to work my ass off for it. So so I had a very different mindset, attitude. And, and then another thing is I'm so grateful. And I knew, actually, I still believe until this day, I don't belong to that place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so, so to oh, me, you're, I, being Asian, you're being Asian humble. Come on. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, check out my SAT score and then, and then, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a fact, you know, I mean, so, so, so well, I just, I, yeah. Yeah. I think this year they're not doing SAT scores anymore going forward, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, well, that should have happened earlier. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I took it seven times. So like college oh score, gosh. they would think I'm a great investment. Imagine if every student take it seven times. I mean, they would, 
they will be extremely profitable company. But anyways. So this is a, yeah, so this is a lesson to tell kids that don't fret. You can take it seven times and still get it to Harvard. <laughs> no, I always say just study hard. Just take it one time. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah but, but yeah, that's another way. But I mean, to me, I think the fact, I think the, the, most, the most wonderful thing about Harvard, I think is the people. Uh, once I was able to get there, I was able to meet so many people with so many interesting stories and you can learn so much. I think the learning is more, most of the learning for me takes place not in the classroom. I think it's in the dining hall, it's in the late night of talking with people. Um, and those things are, I think, really, really special. It's the people there. Yeah. So do I remember correctly? I mean, you and I are friends, so we've talked about this a little bit. Your former roommate at Harvard is yeah. a very well-known athlete. Yeah, Jeremy Lin. Yeah, Block May. So at Harvard, you have this thing where once you enter sophomore, junior, senior year, uh, there's this thing called the blocking group. So basically, you can choose who you want to block with. Uh, so, so there are two groups of people. We have a group of basketball players, a group of football players, and we enter the blocking group together, and we all got assigned to Leverett House. So I did not live in the same room with Jeremy, but we live in the same building. Uh, and the reason we don't live in the same room is because basketball players and football players have a very different schedule. Like we have to get up really early in the morning to train, like 5, 5 a.m. get out at 6 a.m. training. They don't. They're they're a lot more, I think, soft. So so <laughs> you just call all basketball players soft, okay? But then all the football players will back you up, so that's fine. Yeah, no, anyways, but 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 sometimes when we have to go to bed early, they will still be playing video games. So we have to we have a different schedule. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what did you think of when Linsanity was happening? What you were, you know, you've known this guy since university. Yeah. Insanity was happening. He's an Asian athlete. Yeah, what was that no, like? I mean, it, it, to me, it was just crazy, right? I mean, I mean, excuse my life, but I think it's fucking crazy. That's the <laughs> that's, that's that's the best way to say it. But at the same time, I am so happy and so proud uh, of him because I know this was a dream of his, and he he has sacrificed. He didn't even attend his college graduation. Uh, because he was busy trying to get 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 an opportunity by the NBA team, so there's a lot of you know sacrifice and sweat tears behind. So I knew, um, I know how hard he worked and he wanted it, and I'm just so happy this happened. But you know, saying that we all see this coming, I mean, that that's that's, that's just full of shit, right? No one saw it coming, yeah. but, but we knew he's going to make it to the NBA. I believe that, but no one thing is going to take it to that level and that kind of scale. Right. Um, but why it, didn't why didn't we think that would happen? I mean, kids now probably think, you know what? I'm Asian. I can play basketball. I may make it to that level. But that was only 2012, 2011. I mean, I lived in New York City at that time, so it was the city was going crazy. So why didn't we think it could happen at, for Asian athletes? I think it's like it's never been done before, right? I think Asian just being labeled as someone that just like you say, Asian humble, or or even talk right, or even talk about like something like oh, just focus on academics, you know, like being able to stand up for yourself, being expressive, being outspoken. That's not something you think about associate Asian with, right? Um, and especially athletic world, like you know, there's just so few uh, of the people that can really excel at it. So I think naturally, you just don't think that's that's possible. But I think what Jeremy did create a lot of inspiration. And now we even say just for Asia, I think it's for 
all races, all walks of people who really, if they put in the effort and attitude and work hard and sacrifice, good things can come. And I think that that's, uh, yeah, that should be an inspiration to uh, a lot of people. So you graduated from Harvard in 2010. What was your first job out of school? Uh, National Football League. Yeah. Yeah. So join the National Football League because the logic was football changed my life and I don't want to go working in a desk job where I just hate my life and then I cuss myself out getting out of bed every day. So I want to do something where I feel excited getting out of bed and naturally I want to pursue sports. And the dream at that time was, you know, uh, I want to just imagine if one day Asia or China has a professional American football league exists. So I figure if I want to make that happen, I might as well join an organization that have maybe the vision and the resources to do it. So, so that's why I joined the National Football League, spent my first year in New York at their headquarter office at Park Avenue. And then second year, they sent me to Beijing, uh, the NFL China office trying to make football popular. Yeah. I dug into some internet archives because that's very easy to do nowadays. And on the Harvard Crimson website, it said you enjoy playing Chinese chess and plan for a career in business. <laughs> Are you still that guy? Well, I think business part is right, right? I'm trying to do uh, the entrepreneur aspect. Um, the Chinese chess, I, I love playing Chinese chess with my uncle. Um, that currently has stopped. <laughs> yeah. So but, you're saying that you can't find an opponent that's good enough for you. Are you saying no, that? No, 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 that's not okay. <laughs> like my uncle crushes me and I get so mad. So I always just like, you know, just always will play him, just keep playing him until I have a chance to win, but he's just so good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I don't play that. I mean, I've played it um, as a kid with my grandpa, sometimes with my cousins, and they would always win. So I'm like, I'm not playing this anymore. Let's play Tiaochi instead, which is <laughs> Chinese checkers, I think that's what it's called. Right. Um, and on your LinkedIn, it also said you were a real estate agent in college. Right. I never knew this about you. What made you do this in college? Yeah, that was my college summer job from sophomore to senior year. And, you know, the logic was just I wanted to learn um, to uh, how to do sales. I think when, once you master how to sales or know how to sell, it's a tremendous skill in life. And I think just through a friend, uh, also a football colleague, uh, football teammate, he's doing this internship at this Broadway Realty. So I went and all you got to do is just take, I think it's a, uh, 48-hour course, and then you pass the test, and then you're a licensed real estate agent. So what we do is we just do rentals uh, in Cambridge because during the summer, there's a lot of young professional students that come to Cambridge because it's such a good, great college town and a lot of a lot of work there, uh, opportunities. So people are looking for a place to rent. Uh, it's a very, very busy, uh, you know, uh, busy market. So, so I did that, and actually it's – you don't get paid by hours, so everything is commission based. If only if you only if you close the deal, you get paid. And I think, uh, you know, I think at one point, you know, two months, I was able to uh, close. I think worth about twenty thousand dollars in two months. You know, and and that to me as a college student, that's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money. So so it was like I really enjoyed that fast pace and uh, you know kind of like problem solving and salesmanship type of environment. So I stuck with it for the next three years. Yeah. Your vision for Choshu is to change the perception in Asia that sports is second fiddle and that homework, doing well on tests in schools is just the be all end all. And that kids who participate in sports are just wasting their time. 
What's some programs or mission that Chosha has introduced to change this perception, whether it's of parents, um, the teachers, or even the government? Yeah, so I think the, the main vehicle we're doing to make this happen is comes down to the league that we have created. And with the CXL, we have a number of rules that we have to sign contract with the school that they have to obey. Um, you know, in terms of academics, they need to be qualified uh, as student athlete, uh, and also students, uh, also the school, they need to cooperate with us in terms, they need to make sure they have a proper venue, right? Uh, and also in terms of a lot of logistics. So, I mean, we're very early stage because we're only in the second season of the league, uh, but right now, Right now, we start to see a lot of uh, progress. And I think the next step for us is get more engagement, more buy-in from the school. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to create a foundation or, you know, this sounds a little abstract, but the future infrastructure of sports, which at the end of the day, the school need to be able to take a very proactive role in changing the culture and doing this. So we're basically going to the school and trying to shake out the system and tell the school, this is what you need to do and convince them to do it. Uh, and uh, yeah, in the process of doing that, you know, we may have to, we may have to upset some people and then maybe, uh, you know, get some people pretty upset. But I think the, the short term is upsetting people, but the long term, I think it will, it will really create benefits. Uh, I think for the kids that are really in the system. So, yeah. You obviously eat, sleep and breathe Choshu, but what are some of your other interests? What do you? What does Chang do on a normal day? So you know, Chosha is my interest. It's <laughs> a very workaholic explanation. It's kind of like this: like when you love, you really love, love, and being so obsessive with what you do. Like you, you, it's it's kind of like to me. I don't think it's work. I mean, to some people it is, but I think I really can relate to. You know, like in the morning I work out. Right? Sometimes in the morning I work out, I listen to some of the people like Kobe Bryant, some of the things they would say. And, and then I think over time I can really relate to it because the hardest thing is finding something you really love to do and get really good at it, right? Uh, and I think I'm so lucky that I'm able to find this purpose and this mission. Uh, and I think the rest is just, I want to, I think I'm so happy. I mean, there are definitely a lot of adversity every now and then. But overall, I think I'm just so joyful and so happy that I'm able to find this. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I like going out, like outdoor stuff, hiking. I like listening to music. I like reading. I like hanging out with my friends. We have house church. Um, but, but I think my lifestyle, I don't think there's any balance to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't think – and I don't believe in balance. I actually believe in work and life harmony, right? Like, you know – yeah, I believe in work life work work and life uh, harmony because at the end of the day, I believe that a motivated, healthy, strong people can do good work. And the end goal is to get everyone to become healthy, strong, and motivated. So, so everyone need to find a way to find their happiness. You know, because once you're happy, strong, healthy, motivated, you will always do work, good work. So that's why I think you don't. The notion that you need to stay balanced, fifty fifty. Sometimes I just don't think it's realistic because you, at, at some certain time of that stage of your life, maybe you should focus all your energy at work. Uh, but at some other point of your life, maybe you should focus all your family at work, uh, focus your entire time family. So there's also a different context for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. pastor, preach. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
thought about that. Thought about that, Amy. Um, maybe in your maybe in your later life you could do that. My last question is talk about some of these investors that you have for Choshu and how important your mission is to them and how it resonated with them. So in the early stage, I think I'm really lucky that these group of investors, they they all joined this and invested in this company, this mission, simply because we have a shared vision, a shared mission. And most of these investors are all former athletes. So we have our lead investor, Joe Tai, um, the co-founder of Alibaba, and also he's the owner of Booker Nets. We also have a uh, um, Chris Hyde, which also owns um, the professional baseball team and basketball team in Taiwan, uh, the Fubang. And we also have Richard Chang, uh, which is the head of Costco in Asia. Um, and also, obviously, Blackie Chang, a good friend of mine, and he's a celebrity. And also, uh, also now, uh, he's trying to um, actually start a professional league in Taiwan now, too, actually. Um, so why are all these people supporting you? Simply because they all are, they all have benefited from playing sports, and we all recognize the important value of that. So I would say that's an early stage, but I think the the time that we first met till now has been four years. I think right now the challenge we're facing is we gotta turn children into uh, a business, right? And fortunately, now over this four year of time evolution, we have come up with a Choshu lead, which is a product market fit. And the next three years, our goal is we have to break even. We have to make Choshu sustainable. So that's our next challenge now. Yeah, the next phase. All these people that you mentioned are super influential in their community. You talk about Joe Tsai, like he's a huge thought leader in his space. And also, you know, you can see he's the owner of the Nets. And then I think because I wrote that piece about Choshu for NBC, I did a lot of research on Richard. And Richard played basketball at UC Berkeley way back then. And he was like almost, you know, the first Asian American in the NBA. So just incredible people. And I think they really believe in your mission. Um, so yeah, that, that that's a great group to have on your side. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I mean, if anyone's listening, if you're interested to learn more, even be a part of this, um, yeah, let, let, let me know. You know, we, I think, I think uh, I really believe that, you know, with, you know, just when you have, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think those that have really benefited from in life and now have resources and ability, I think it's only right to pass it down to the next generation. Um, and uh, if you, you, you also feel like this is something you're interested, you know, yeah, for sure. Chang, do you know what's funny? I was going to say that phrase. I was going to say with great responsibility because you have all these responsibilities that you're shouldering comes great power. <laughs> but you used it <laughs> the same way. Um, so where can the listeners find you if they want to connect with you? What kind of social media are you on? Sure. So Facebook, uh, we have our fan page, Choshue, C-H-O-X-U-E. I also have my personal brand page. Just type in my name, C-H-E-N-G-H-O. Uh, also, I started trying to Actually, learning from you, uh, inspired by you, Amy, but uh, I want to also produce more content, educational content, educate the people both in the East and West. Um, so I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's just uh, also type in my name, C-H-E-N-G, but you can type in uh, running back, uh, Harvard running back, uh, and that's just my uh, my name for the channel. Uh, I don't, I have wrote one piece on Medium, but I'm not a freaking writer. Uh, Twitter, I just started. Uh, LinkedIn, I need to start it. But I think primarily it's IG, 
uh, Facebook and YouTube. Yeah. Awesome. So listeners, if you're interested in what Chang talked about, if you just want to see if he's working out in the morning, are you like posting the rock level like workout content or is it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I'm I'm, I'm doing it more for myself because I want to hold myself accountable. But yeah, but but rock definitely is someone that also inspired me tremendously, too. So actually in the in the weight room, um, you know, one of his foundation is always be the hard uh, always to oh, to always be the hardest worker in the room we have that we, we have that sentence uh that quote uh printed and pasted onto our gym wall awesome chang thank you so much for your time i think you're such a great leader and i see such great things for choshu and also your personal endeavors in the future so best of luck with everything thank you so much for your time thank you amy thanks for the opportunity Thanks for listening to the Agnata podcast. If you liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. I'd really appreciate it. I'd also love to hear any feedback you have. Feel free to email me at agnatapod at gmail.com. E-G-G-N-A-N-A-P-O-D at gmail.com. Catch you in the next episode.